All right, we are making our way through the book of Philippians. Please turn to Philippians chapter 2. Chapter 2. And we will read from verse 12 and to 16. We, we covered 12 and 13 last time. But just so that we can get just a little bit of a background still, we will read chapter 2, verse 12 to 16. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling and disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in that day I will have a reason to glory, because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. And we can see from this text alone, we're not far from that, are we not? Living in the world that is chasing after the things of itself, it, it desires stuff, it wants more stuff, it is continuously complaining, it is crooked, it is perverse, it's, it's grumbling, it's disputing. But we're, we're called to be different. According to these verses, we are called to be different and stand out from the world that is crooked and perverse, a world that does nothing but grumbling and dispute. Sometimes even good meaning Christians, when we preach the gospel and witness to people, we say, you know, you and I, we're the same. But we're not the same, brothers and sisters. We are not the same. Perhaps maybe if we explained it to somebody that we're the same in a sense of before we were saved, we were the enemies of God and we were living in a dark world and we followed the things of this world. We were apart from God, dead to sin, uh, uh, away from, from the goodness of Christ, no care for God, no worship for God. That's true. But we are not called to be the same as the world. We're not called to stay the same. We're not called to love what they love. We're not called to dress the way they dress, to look the way they look. There is a reason why the scripture says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. We are called to be different, and according to Scripture, we are called to be radically different. Not just different, radically different when it comes to our relationship with God, when it comes to our relationship with one another, and when it comes to our relationship with the world. We often say we want to have an impact in this world for the kingdom of God and we want to make a difference in this world and we want to proclaim the gospel and we want to be the light because that's what we're meant to be, the light. But let me tell you something now, that revival, that what we desire begins with you. It begins with a change in you. 
We, we pray for revival as somehow we are saying, God saved these people. And we look exactly like them. Believers, we are meant to be radically different. Not so much like the Muslim radical, but we're meant to be radically in proclaiming the gospel, showing love, showing care, being kind. And in these two verses here, in these two few verses here that we look at, these is two things that Paul begins to say to those whom he has said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God that works through you. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. All things, as Paul continues to bring about the, the rest of this passage, he says, do all things. Do all things. We are meant to do all things without grumbling and disputing. So this is the second part that we looked at last time, the work of sanctification, but I named this the work of sanctification and its purposes. What are the purposes of our sanctification? And we'll look at four things. One, this is a command. It's a command for God and from God to do all things without grumbling and disputing. It's a command for the people of God. Three, it's a command for the unbelieving world of God. And four, it's a command for the leaders of God or to the leaders of God. So look with me at the first four, verse 14, and let's begin to flesh this out. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. The command here is from God to do all things without grumbling and disputing. If we want to be those people that God has called us to be, we ought to begin by stop grumbling and stop disputing. What does the grumbling mean? It means to complain. It means to, to whine, to talk behind someone's back. To, in actual fact, the word is muttering. You know, that's what the word means. And it's expressing the highest expression of dissatisfaction. Displeasure in the heart. Do all things without this. One commentator put it this way about this word. It says it describes a low, threatening, discontent muttering of a mob who distrust their leaders and are on the verge of an uprising. This is what this word grumbling means. And we see this through the scriptures. God is not happy with grumblers, right? We read that in the Gospels where the workers in the vineyard, they grumbled because some of them came later after them and they said, why are they getting paid the same as us? So they grumbled. The Pharisees and the scribes, they grumbled because Jesus sat and ate and drank with sinners and tax collectors. As we heard even this morning when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, the Jews grumbled because Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And, and the Jews, we know that they grumbled all the way to the cross. But the Apostle Paul, as he's, he's speaking here, he has something else in mind. The Old Testament, right? I mean, I can pull many passages of the grumbling Jews in the Old Testament. 
that were against God. They, they grumbled when they were prisoners, and then they grumbled when they were free. They grumbled when they were thirsty, then they grumbled after they drank. They grumbled when they were hungry, then they grumbled after they ate. They grumbled in the wilderness. They grumbled when Moses took too long from Mount Sinai. They grumbled when they come to the Red Sea. They grumbled, they grumbled, and they grumbled. And what did God do with these grumbling people? Did God say, I rejoice in them? I am happy with my grumbling people? No, he did not. Turn to 1 Corinthians and I'll show you. I can go to many passages, but we'll just look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And the first 10 verses, as you go, you make your way there. I will read for the sake of time. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, as Paul's explaining to the church, that our fathers were under the cloud all under the cloud and passed through the Red Sea and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud in the Red Sea and all ate of the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink as they were drinking from the spiritual rock which followed them and that rock was Christ, verse 5. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased for they were all laid low in the wilderness. And now these things happen as an example for us so that we would not crave evil things as they craved. Right? Let's continue. Do not be adulterers as some of them were. As it is written, people sat down to eat and to drink and stood up to play. Let us act immorally. And some of them did. And 23,000 fell on in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpent, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. But verse 10, it says, Now these things happen to them as an example. They happen to them as an example. The Romans chapter 15, on top of my head of it, 15 verse 4 says, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through the perseverance and encouragement of Scripture, we might have hope. God is not happy when people grumble. God is not happy. You know what a grumbler is? He's a fault finder. He's a person who can easily point the finger. And this is what the Israelites were doing. So this command is from God. I just want to just begin with that to understand God says, don't be grumblers. Do all things without grumbling. Look at verse 14 again. And we see this command now that is for the people of God because this is continuing of working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. Do all things. Who is he talking to? The beloved church, right? And what does it mean to do all things? I, I explain to you the Greek word. It means all things. Everything that you do that pertains in you working out your salvation, you are meant to do without grumbling. And the word do is in the present active. That means you continue to stop grumbling. You know, this is 
We live in a world of grumblers. It's hard not to grumble, right? And yet we are told to do this and to make this a lifestyle. No grumbling and no disputing. And disputing, it goes even deeper. It talks about having bad thoughts, reasoning. I've got to say something. John's top is not right. I have to say something about your top, brother. Grace's hat is not a different color. I'm colorblind. Don't worry about that. You know, there's always some sort of something. I've got to say something. This speaks about quarreling, starting an argument. Well, what is Paul talking about here? What things? Well, if we go back, then count others more significant than yourselves. How? Without grumbling or disputing. See the interest of others, brothers and sisters, above yourselves. How? Without grumbling or disputing. We looked at Jesus as being the perfect example of emptying himself. Then empty yourselves for the brethren. How? Without grumbling or disputing. Jesus is a perfect example for us as the man who laid down everything, the God who laid down everything, became man, became a slave even to the point of death. That's servanthood. Be a servant, brothers and sisters, to your brothers and sisters. How? Without grumbling or complaining. Humble yourself without without complaining. And give yourself away unto death. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because God loves those who do not grumble or dispute. In the Greek, in fact, it says, it reads this way, all things do, putting the emphasis at the start of the verse, meaning make sure that you get it, there is no exception. No exception. Everything that you do within the church, outside of the church, all the things that you're doing for the building up the body of Christ, do it without grumbling or disputing. It got me thinking. For Paul to say this to a church that's quite healthy and it's okay, they're in fellowship with God, uh, with God and with Paul, and they're supporting Paul, and and for the gospel's sake. Maybe there was grumbling and disputing that Paul had to address, or maybe it's because they lived in a culture that didn't mind grumbling and disputing, and Paul is trying to help them. You see, disputing and grumbling is one of those, or are those, respectable sins that we are okay with. Not really, it's not that bad. But we've got it right here as a command not to do these things. We read in Jude, speaking of the day of the Lord when a judgment will come. It says, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands, that's Jude 14 to 16, thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all to convict all the ungodly. All of their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him, these are grumblers finding fault. 
Now, of course, this is talking about specific people, false teachers, but the application there is the same. These are false finders. They are false finders. And grumbling and disputing is a person who is not satisfied in the circumstances that God has actually put before them. And these kind of sins, grumbling and disputing, brothers and sisters, they will, they will fester. They, they will grow. If we don't deal with them, they will grow. I love what Charles Spurgeon said about this. Please pay attention to this. He says, The gift of grumbling is largely dispensed among those who have no other talents or who keep what they have wrapped in a napkin. Did you hear that? I'll read it again. The gift of grumbling is largely dispensed among those who have no other talents. This attitude, brothers and sisters, is nothing but destructive within the body of Christ. It does not bring unity, but it brings disunity. It does not bring humility, but it brings dissension. This kind of attitude, grumbling and disputing, can do such damage within the body of Christ. And it's very easily unnoticed, like anger. Very easily unnoticed. And if we don't deal with it, that can cause hurts in relationships with one another, stunt the growth of the church, again, bring division. This breeds uh, unlovingness and it feeds gossip and it worsens and it turns into grudging. This is self-centeredness, self-focused. Grumbling and disputing is never going to draw people to you. If you're a grumbling disputer, don't expect people to be drawn to you. This is not the will of God in the church. And it cannot produce holiness and joy and humility. And here we have it. Paul is writing, but inspiration of the Holy Spirit do nothing from these things. Everything apart from these things. But then he goes further. So that's the... That's to the people of God. Look with me again from verse 15. So that, here's a purpose statement. So that you will prove yourselves blameless and innocent children of God in a crooked and perverse generation. In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights of the world prove yourselves i like the esv i think the way it renders it because it's one word it's it actually says that you may be that you may be that means that you are producing you are becoming you're becoming more blameless and more innocent how the reason is that you're stopping grumbling and disputing. And as you stop grumbling and disputing, you are growing in your blamelessness. Christians are not meant to be murmurs and complainers. We're meant to show the world that we are radically different for this reason, so that you may be blameless. And blameless speaks of one without defect. 
one who is righteous, one who is holy, one whom you can point the finger and not find any fault in that person. It speaks of a person, not so much that he is perfect, but he is a person who shuns evil. Let me tell you, one man who was like this and God was very well pleased with, it was Job, right? It says in Job chapter 1, verse 1, there was a man in the land of Oz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless, upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. He stood out. He feared the Lord. He was blameless. How, say Ralph, how do we become blameless? Well, as Wes continuously says, read the text. To become blameless, it is to deal with grumbling and disputing so that you will become blameless and innocent. It is to deal with those issues. Brethren, the Apostle Paul is not calling us to live a mediocre life here. Just a Christian life that's flatlined, and every now and then, oh, I've got a holy, you know, the Apostle Paul here is really calling these believers to live completely radical. Because to be blameless, this is talking about the outward, the way you look. The way you look, he's not even talking about speaking yet. We haven't, we haven't touched on that yet. The way you behave, the way you are in the world, it is to be radical. And there is a reason why the, the, the Lord himself says, if you are of the world, the world will love its own. There's a reason Jesus said that, don't you think? I think we should listen to that. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because this is the, because the, the reason the world hates you. Remember that I said to you, a slave is no greater than a master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they keep my word, they will keep yours also. You're radically different. You have to stand out in the world. Christ clothed us with his righteousness. We are meant to manifest his righteousness in our lives. That's what it means to be blameless. You are manifesting what Christ is doing inside of you. Christ made us accepted in the beloved, in him, to the Father. We are now the children of God. We are meant to manifest being the children of God as innocent children of God. That word innocent adds just a little bit more to the blameless because this means unmixed. This word speaks unalterated, unadulterated, I should say, not together with something else. This word is speaking about someone who lives pure and not unpure. Paul is saying that a believer's life is not meant to be half carnal, and half holy. We're not meant to blend in with the world. We're not meant to look like the world, dress like the world, the same hairstyle, the same this and the same that. We are meant to radically look different. Second Corinthians, I will turn there, chapter 6. Here's what it says, chapter 6 from verse 14. 
how we're meant to stand out, do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness and fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has a temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. We're meant to be different, not mixed. Innocent means be different. Don't mix in with the world. And then Paul says, Prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God. (laughs) Children of God. We are the children of God. We are saved by grace. We are loved by Christ. He is our satisfaction. He is all that we need. But we live also in this dark world. We live in this dark world. There's temptations. We live among sinners. We have the flesh still to deal with. But how are we meant to be? It says, be children of God above reproach. Above reproach. And this word speaks of being spotless, above reproach. You know, it's not just your elders are supposed to be above reproach. Yes, that's their title and the office that they have to fulfill. But we are all called to be as children of God above reproach. And this word here, in fact, was used in the Old Testament when when an animal sacrifice was offered up without blemish, and without spot, unblemished as a sin offering. What does that mean? Why does Paul use this word here? Because he is saying, live your lives without spot or wrinkle. Offer yourself up as a holy and living sacrifice unto the Lord, as Romans chapter 12, verse 1 will tell you. This is what's pleasing to God. That we will live holy and blameless. In a perverse and crooked generation, living sacrificially. Remember where Paul was? Paul's in prison, chained to a guard or two, not having the blessings that we have. Paul wouldn't have been able to wear this. Paul wasn't grumbling. Paul wasn't disputing. He was was elevating Christ. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 20 says, The perverse in heart are an abomination to the Lord. But the blameless in their walk are his delight. That's Proverbs eleven twenty. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, become more pure, more radiant, give yourselves away as a living sacrifice to God, where in the midst of a perverse and crooked generation. We live just as much as the Apostle Paul, when he wrote this, they lived in a perverse and crooked generation. There is nothing new under the sun. And this word crooked, it's kind of interesting because it's the word where we get scoliosis, which talks about the curvatures of the spine, where it's crooked. And the Apostle Paul borrowed these words, in actual fact, from Deuteronomy 32, verse 5, where the unfaithful Israel, 
God called them a perverse and crooked generation because they were bent towards sin and not towards God. And he says, he's using this as a, a metaphor to say you are living amongst people who are bent towards sin, a nation who's bent towards sin, morally twisted, crooked, dishonest, wicked, bent towards everything but God. And Paul is telling his church, you are not them. You're living amongst them. Live in the world, but you're not of the world, right? Proverbs 21 verse 30 says, the way of a guilty man is crooked. But as for the pure, his conduct is upright. His conduct is upright. You live in a crooked and perverse generation. That Paul write into Timothy, Second uh, Timothy chapter chapter three verse verse two says, "For men will be lovers of self." Does that, does that sound like today? Lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self control, brutal. Haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God. Do we live in this generation? Yes, we do. Paul says, though, you are not them. Look at what it says. You appear. You appear. How? You appear as lights in the world. Appear, that means that something is revealed, brought forth. It's visible. You actually are visibly looking different than everyone else, brothers and sisters. And you appear as a light. This speaks of brightness and splendor and radiance. What does that mean? It means that in this world that we live in that is dark, they are reflecting their father, the devil. We are meant to reflect our father, who is the father of lights, the holy one, the shining one. As the night begins to get darker and darker, we're supposed to shine brighter and brighter. We're supposed to shine bright as a as as a a star in a black hole. And the light is only glory, glorious and bright when it's put on display in a dark room. And if Paul is saying that's what the world is like and it's crooked and it's perverse. It's bent towards sin. It hates God. Brothers and sisters, you are meant to stand out. You are not meant to be the same as them. You are meant to stand out. Our Lord Jesus says you are what? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor anyone lights a lamp and puts puts it under a basket. But on that lampstand, it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify the Father who is in heaven. And then Paul continues and he says in verse 16, holding fast the word of life. Holding fast the word of life. You know... I don't know how many times we have said this. You've got a treasure. 
the word of life ought to be your treasure. There are people overseas, and I've mentioned this before, and I thought it's fitting for here, who have, especially our, our beloved family in Christ in China, there might be 150 of them underground who have one Bible. How many Bibles do we have? How many Bibles do you have in your software that you can have all sorts of languages? And we're meant to hold fast the word of truth to ourselves, but in this context, it goes deeper than that. You are not holding that word of truth and you're holding it to yourself and you say, I have no one else that I'm going to share it with. No, brothers and sisters, the word of truth that you're holding for, it's to bring forth that truth. The word of God that is close to your heart will come out of your mouth, will come out of your tongue in the preaching and the witnessing to this dying world. And what Paul is saying is two things. You cannot have one without the other. You cannot be a witness just in your good deeds and not speak about the good Lord. And you cannot just speak about the good Lord and your deeds do not go with what you speak. You have to have them together. One may have too much of one than the other. No, they've got to be together, brothers and sisters. You're meant to be a light of the world in your actions and in your words. Not one without the other. One may speak the oracles of God and yet they're always angry. And in life they dress like everyone else and look like everyone else and talk at best like everyone else. But every now and then they'll, they'll say, you know what? You need to believe in the gospel. Or the other just looks holy, but he never mentions the gospel to anyone. No, brothers and sisters, they need to come together. It is a command from God to God for one another and for a dying world. Both go hand in hand. Your words and your actions. This is what Paul is saying. And finally, Paul says, holding fast the word of truth so that in that day, I, Paul speaking of himself, will have a reason to glory because I did not run in vain or toil in vain. And this is for the leaders. It's kind of weird to say that, but Paul is saying on that day, not, not the Lord's day, the, the day of judgment, but the, the day of the Lord, but this is when we will face Christ for what we have done in our body. What, what, what have we done with what the giftedness that God has given us? You will see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. What do we build that upon? And Paul is saying, brothers and sisters, uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. Do nothing from grumbling and disputing. Live this life holy. Live it the way Christ wants you to be. Hold fast the word of truth to yourself and preach the word of truth. On that day when I face Christ, I want to make sure that I didn't do any of this in vain. Right? You know, this is the greatest desire for your elders at this church that we would have from you to live your life holy and blameless in a perverse and crooked generation, that you will be the lights of this world, that we will say to you that that day I will have much to glory for. In fact, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul is also speaking about the fact that I want to make sure that I did 
I know Brother Wes and I, we speak about it, and we say when we are preaching the Word of God, we're under God's authority, and we're in fear of that. We want to make sure that what we say to you, it's coming from the Scriptures. I want to make sure that I did not run in vain. In other words, I said what I could, the best that I could in my understanding at that time because I have a fear of the Lord. But you have a part in this. And when you want to bless your elders, obey what God has said through the elders. And they'll receive greater joy, not in this life, but in the life to come. Your obedience in understanding the scriptures as the elders are teaching you, you are actually blessing the elders to receive greater rewards. You want to give a reward to your elders? Then listen to what they're saying to you according to scripture. All the other stuff will, will be done away with. Paul's not boasting in himself here. I love what MacArthur says. Said, no, he was inspired by God. He wasn't boasting because the Apostle Paul says himself, boasting no one but the Lord. But he was saying, this is what I desire. That one day when I come before God, I have run properly. I've run the race. I toiled hard, harder than anyone else. And here's my proof, my beloved brethren. <laughs> Look at them. They lived the way you wanted. That's... Our desire, can I, I can speak for myself and I can, I can speak for where as I'm sure of it, that our desire is for you to grow in the holiness of God, that we may receive such joy when we receive the Lord and we will receive that to the fullest because of your obedience, because of your obedience. So how do we, how do we put this as an application to ourselves? Let's begin by asking the questions. What grumbling is there in your life and disputing that is hindering you to obey God, to obey your leaders, to be that servant, that faithful servant in the body of Christ and to be that faithful witness outside? You know, we can easily complain about anything, right? We can make it very practical. You know, some might complain, my house is too small. The other says, my house is too big, I've got to clean it. One says, my car's too small. The other says, my car's too big, I've got to fill it up, the petrol's too high. One says, you know, my house is too small and I can't sort of breathe. The other says, oh man, my house is too big, it's got so much dust. There was always something to complain. And perhaps you coming here this morning, you were complaining that someone cut you off. You know, you couldn't get on time or you were complaining that your kids didn't get up or your wife is not ready when you want to leave or you're complaining that the heat is on too high or too low or that the food was cold or there was nothing to eat at church today again. The guitar was too noisy. You know, Young didn't hit the note right. Or the hymns are just so old. Can we just get over it? Can we... Here's the thing. You know why we're laughing? Because you know it's true. <laughs> we, we are by nature complainers. We are by nature, sinful nature. But I want to share with you, brothers and sisters, that when we are complaining, who are we complaining against ultimately? We are complaining against the God who provides 
all those things for you and all circumstances in your life. And what we're saying when we are complaining, we are saying to God, get off the throne. Get off the throne, God. I know something better. I think you've missed this one, God. I think, I think you've missed this. You've missed, you made a mistake with my husband. Absolutely. My wife, yep. My sons, my daughters definitely made a mistake with the elder. He shaved his beard. She grow back. Some saying that, by the way. And we complain and we complain. And this sins, because it's not one, it's a couple. They go unnoticed and they creep in like cancer and kill people. Spiritually speaking. And kill relationships between you and God, relationship with the brethren, and, and you're witnessing outside. If someone comes to you sometimes, you know, they're grumbling about something, please help them. Help them to see that grumbling and disputing is actually a sin. Don't, don't, don't justify it. But you're not of this world, brothers and sisters. We're not the same. We're not meant to float around under the radar, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, we're not meant to blend in. We're meant to be radically different. We're meant to be so radically different, and this is how radical we're meant to be. We're meant to stand out like pyramids in Egypt. That's how much we're meant to stand out. We're meant to stand out like the Northern Lights, Sister Kirsty. We're meant to stand out like the Greek islands or the Italian volcanoes. Or Table Mountain, Karen. We're meant to stand out. When you go to these places, or I think Sleeping Giant in New Zealand, they stand out. We are meant to stand out that way. But let me address the elephant in the room as to why we struggle with this. Why we are struggling to become blameless and innocent children above reproach. Why we are failing to do this. We have too much of a high view of self and a low view of God. Too much of a high view of self and a low view of God. We think too much of ourselves. That's the problem. <laughs> How do we deal with this, brothers and sisters? Well, the Apostle Paul has been taking us through this, has he not? Remember Christ. Remember his person. Remember his attributes. His character, remember his work of redemption and his work in your sanctification. Be excited and look at the glorious Christ. Be astonished at his majesty. Be in awe and wonder for he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the King. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the captain of our soul. He is the sustainer of all things. Be aware that one glimpse of Christ Looking into Christ's face will blind a thousand men. Looking to Jesus will be blinding. And yet he chose to live in us so that we can reflect that glory. We want to ponder on his presence continuously every single day that we will be that light. How can we deal with grumbling and complaining and witnessing and being in, in fellowship with one another in a dying world who's going down to hell, look upon Jesus Christ. 
Look to the cross. Behold the bleeding lamb of God who was marred and his body was broken and, and torn. Look to Christ for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. Look to Christ. He is not in the grave. He is risen. And we're meant to manifest the risen Christ in our lives. We're meant to lift up the holy God in our lives, who is our eternal priest, who intercedes for us. Look to him where all the angels are bowing down and worshiping him, worship Christ, then come back here and be like the Apostle Paul and learn to be content in your lives. Grumbling and disputing is showing that you are not content. Brothers and sisters, we need to learn to be content in all situations, just like the Apostle Paul. That's how we want to deal with our issue at hand. These are the purposes of working at our sanctification. That we behold the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. But maybe there's another elephant in the room. And the reason maybe that you are grumbling and disputing and not working out your salvation with fear and trembling, you are not becoming blameless, you are not innocent, you cannot appear as a light in the world, and you cannot get along with your brothers and sisters in Christ because you're not born again. You don't have the Spirit of God, and you cannot give what you do not have. You must examine. If you're a false convert, it does not matter how much theology you have. If that light of Christ is not shining in you, then maybe it does not belong there. And you must repent. You must trust Christ and give your life wholly and completely to him and say, Lord, I surrender my life to you. Change me. Only you can change me. Don't try to put on light if you don't have it. It's false light. But admit to God, admit to God that you don't have it. Lord, I am a sinner in need of saving. I need you, Lord. I need you to change me so that I can live my life fully satisfied in you. What do we learn from these verses? Christ, he is worthy. Christ is worthy for us to do all things without grumbling and disputing with one another. He is worthy for us to live lives that are blameless and innocent in a crooked and perverse generation for us to shine as lights. Christ is worthy even for you, to bless your elders to obey. Amen. Father, how good are you? How worthy, Lord God, are you? Oh, Father, remind us. Remind us, Lord God, that you judged Israel for being grumblers and disputers. Oh, Lord, may we repent of this sin collectively 
If there be any of this in our soul, Lord, may you purge it through Christ. That we will be those witnesses to one another, outdo one another, serve one another in love without disputing, without grumbling, without muttering, without having the last say to our brothers, to our sisters, to our husbands, to our wives and to our children. Oh, that Christ, the light of the Lord, the light of the gospel will shine in us. And Father, for those who have not had the taste of you, oh Lord, may you lead them to still waters in repentance that they may know Christ and be saved from this crooked and perverse generation. Amen.